And as I alluded to last Sunday morning, a couple of words that God by His Spirit put on my heart in the last few weeks of 2023 are the words, draw near. And that's my sermon title this morning. Don't mean to go above and beyond what I felt in my spirit, what to preach on, so that's as simple as it gets. And if you brought your Bibles, turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, looking at verse 8. How many had a good New Year? I haven't wished you Happy New Year already. Happy New Year. Believing God's best in store for us in 2024 and what that all entails, but also believe with all my heart that we need to be a church that is uh, pursuing Him and drawing into a closer, intimate love relationship with Jesus. And so we begin this morning by looking at James chapter 4, verse 8 where these words are a, are a command, if you will, with a promise. And the command is, draw near to God. Draw near to God. And what? And He will draw near to you. In other words, as I'm moving toward, in the direction of moving toward God, wanting to get closer to God, God's going to be moving in my direction once again and, and drawing closer to me as well. And uh, how many know that, that He must increase and we must decrease, all right? And so the one thing I really think that every one of us need is this nearness of God that James is talking about. And now, we all know, or most of us, I should say, know about you know, the attributes of God, one of them being that God is omnipresent. It simply means that God is all places at all times. And, and, and so in one sense, because of his omnipresence, God is near to everyone. He's not all that far away, all right? All we have to do is call on him, and even for the ungodly. You know, even Paul said regarding the pagans at Athens in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on, the face, on all the face of the earth. He has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. So that, verse 27, they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grow for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. Though God is not far from each of us. That's good for saint and sinner alike. And for, for in him we live and move and have our being. Uh, for as, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Now, so in one sense, God is present with everybody and he gives every person their next breath. Uh, and so, and that's, that's one, one aspect really of the, the presence of God, the omnipotence and the, the all-powerfulness and, and omniscience, the all-knowing of God, as well as his omnipresence, his being everywhere at all times. But that's not the nearness that James is talking about in chapter 4, verse 8. We also know that God, the Holy Spirit, dwells in every believer. Romans 8, 9, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. But James is talking here to believers, telling believers to draw near. Therefore, the nearness of God that comes from being a Christian is not what James is talking about e either. So, so what is James talking about? James is telling Christ followers, believers, Christians, to purposefully move toward or into greater intimacy with God. 
Now, with all that is going on in the world today, I think that's a word for us today, that you and I need to be moving into greater intimacy with God, and we need to do so on purpose, with intention, all right? It's possible, for example, for a married couple to live in the same room, but if the husband is in his office on the computer and his wife is in another room watching television, I can guarantee you there's no intimacy going on. All right, they are logistically close to one another in the same house under the same roof, but there's no close interaction between husband and wife. Each is functioning, if you will, independent of the other. Well, what James is calling on Christians to get into is to get into the same room with God. In other words, get into conversation with God. Talk with God. Let God talk to you. You know, get to know God's heart by drawing closer to Him. You know, get to, get to know God as a person uh, much more deeply than what you know Him. And, and really, I, I think most of us intuitively know what James means when James says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. But the question really remains is, well, how do we go about that? What does that look like? You know, we want a closer walk with God. We want to sense the presence of God, not only during church, but during the week. And, and, and so how do we go about that? You know, what, what should we do regarding that? Well, here's where we start. Number one, I have four points for you this morning. Number one, prepare your heart to seek the Lord. Prepare your heart to seek the Lord. God commended, if you recall, King Jehoshaphat because he had prepared his heart to seek the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 19, verse 3. Actually, I've never preached on this specifically before. I've used the, you know, James 4, 8 before and different references and so. And when I got to look into God's word regarding how many times draw near is there, it is there a lot. And I'll be sharing that with you today. But King Jehoshaphat prepared his heart to seek the Lord. In 2 Chronicles chapter 30, King Hezekiah led Israel to keep the Passover, which the nation had not done in in a lot of years. Now, the timing did not work out for it to be done exactly as the law called for it. Many of the people did not have time to adequately sanctify themselves in preparation for the Passover. And there were several technical infractions, if you will. But Hezekiah appeals to God on this basis. Second Chronicles 30, 18 and 19. May the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God. For everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. Now, the one qualification these Israelites had, they they met, was that they had simply prepared their hearts to seek God. Even as we begin this week of prayer, say, God, I need consistency in my life. God, I want to prepare my heart. As we begin 2024, I want to prepare my heart to seek you. You know, Israel had that going for them. They had prepared their hearts to seek God. The New International, the NIV translation of the Bible says, who sets his heart on seeking God. Excuse me. 
who sets his heart on seeking God. The Hebrew word translated prepares or sets is kun, K-U-W-N. Think of a raccoon, just the last part, kun, all right? There were, there were uh, this word was used, the root meaning is, is, is learned to be erect, to stand perpendicular, to stand upright, straight up. Uh, sometimes it is translated make provision or make ready. The, the, the word was also used in reference to David preparing provisions for Solomon to build the temple. And the word is also translated, K-U-W-N, to be stable or to establish. And so what do we mean when we say prepare your heart to seek the Lord? Well, it simply means this. Make a firm decision to do it and make preparations for it. Make a firm decision. Yes, I will be one who will seek the Lord. I will draw near to God. You know, coming closer this year to God than I've ever been before. James also tells us, you recall, that a double-minded man cannot expect to receive anything from the Lord. He is unstable in all his ways. And so my question for us today is simply this. Have you decided to follow Jesus Christ? If you have, are you willing to make a firm decision to seek the Lord more? All right, draw near, and he will draw near to you. David used this same word in Psalm 57, verse 7, when he said, My heart is steadfast. It's kun, K-U-W-N. The King James says fixed. My heart is steadfast. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. You see, without this kind of determination, it's doubtful that any of us are going to seek God and draw near to God for any length of time. All right, it's just not going to happen. We read of Asa's reform in 2 Chronicles 15. The writer of Chronicles uses the verb to seek the Lord nine times in chapters 14 through 16 and 29 times altogether. And it simply means desire and to pursue earnestly the Lord's presence, fellowship, kingdom, and holiness. Now, 2 Chronicles chapter 15, 1 and 2 says this. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you. Check this out. When the Lord is with you, when you are with him. The Lord is with you, church, when you are with him. Then it says this, if you seek him, he will be found by you. God doesn't play hide and seek with his church. God is like a little child, if you will, in, that, in, this, in this manner. Like kids, when they're playing hide and seek, they're going to hide, but they want you to find them. That's kind of the same way. You know, like they'll, they'll leave enough of their hand or their foot exposed behind something, whatever. And if you don't find them, you'll hear them giggling like, I'm over here, Mom. I'm over here, Dad. See, God wants us to seek him with the intention of finding him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But 
if you forsake him, he will forsake you. So we have two choices, seek or forsake. The decision's yours. The seeking God, this drawing near, was so important that a little later in chapter 15, 2 Chronicles 15, 12 through 15, it says this. And I want you to understand the context of this. But it says, They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and soul. Check out verse 13, 2 Chronicles 15, 13. All who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, were put to death. Now, how many want to seek God? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, were put to death, whether small or great, a man or a woman. They took an oath to the Lord with loud acclamation, with shouting and with trumpets and horns. All Judah rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God eagerly and he was found by them. What, one, what chapter 15, 1 and 2 says. They sought God eagerly and he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. If you read on, you'll see that Asa even removed his grandmother, you know, the, the, the queen mother because of her idolatry. All right. I'm simply saying, church, that this seeking God, drawing near to God, biblically, is serious business. I am not at all suggesting, okay, raise of hands, how many want to draw near? And if your hand doesn't go up, God smacks you dead. I'm not saying that at all. But that was kind of the, the intent of what we're reading here to take into account the seriousness of what we're doing. Because the Bible does say if we seek him, we will find him. So God, if you read on in 2 Chronicles 16, God is looking for a people whose hearts are fully committed to him. So I'm asking this morning to make a decision on this first Sunday of 2024, a decision that you will seek the Lord, that you will draw near to God. Now, this does not happen by accident. We have to decide, you know something, this is what I want to do. All right, let me, let me share with you just very briefly a simple philosophy I have about pastoring the church here. My approach is, is this. I have decided that to the best of my ability, I am going to seek the Lord for the rest of my life. I'm not going to be diverted from that. I'm going to pursue God. I know I need more of God, but I also know God wants more of me. All right. And so that's, that's part of the equation. Now, uh, here's the invitation to anyone in our community. If you would like to join me in doing that, I would love to walk it out with you. My goal has never been to be the biggest church in town or to impress people with some kind of external success. I simply want to faithfully and fervently pursue God. And I believe there are a lot of folks that are here that have that same mindset. I believe there are many in this church who are here because you have prepared your heart to seek God. In other words, you know there's more. As I said last week, last Sunday, in the last Sunday of, of the year, that until my shadows healed the sick, I know there's more. 
And so I want to I wanna pursue God and would to God that one day my shadow will heal the sick, that your shadow will heal the sick as well. Friends, God is no respecter of persons. If God's done it one time, God can do it again. Amen? So there needs to be, first of all, a straight-up, stand-up decision, coon, that's that word, and then the preparations need to be made for it to happen. I said earlier, this word was used in reference to the preparations that David made in building the temple. If you and I have decided to seek the Lord, then the logical question is, well, when, where, and how is this all going to take place? In other words, we need specific plans. Will we seek the Lord by gathering here each Sunday morning and sincerely worshiping God in spirit and in truth? Will we open our ears to hear God's word? Are we willing to obey God's word? Will it transform our lives? Will Sunday morning be something we consistently do or is Sunday morning something we do if nothing better comes up? Of course, there's nothing better to do. We know that. We're here, you know, even in the rain right now. See, there are a lot of Christians who would lose their job if they had the same kind of commitment there as they have toward worship on Sunday morning. Oh, me, oh, my. Will we seek the Lord by gathering with others at 9 a.m. on Sunday morning to go to Sunday school? We had 20 of us there this morning. We have room for all of you, for the adult class. And so I, I ask you to be a seeker of God. There's always something you can learn. You say, well, I know it all. Great. Will you be one of our teachers? You know what I'm saying? Will we seek the Lord by gathering with others on Wednesday evening for our Bible study? Will we seek God by gathering with others for our monthly prayer meeting on the fourth Sunday of the month? Will we seek God by, by joining ladies to ladies in two weeks, ladies? Or, you know, maybe the 840 pre-service prayer time that's available for all people. And by, well, by the way, while you're here at 840, you might as well join Sunday school at 9 a.m. I'm simply saying, will we draw near to God each day of our lives, not just Sunday mornings, but every day of our lives when we have our devotions, you know? Those are, those are some of the avenues and venues that we can take and we can talk about, but the point is this. You and I have to get beyond a vague, abstract intention to seek God. We have to have a plan as to when, where, and how we're going to do that. Then we have to rearrange our schedules that provide the logistics to make it happen. Because right now, uh, for many people, it's not happening. And so something has to change. And so preparing our hearts to seek the Lord includes making specific plans and personal commitments to actually do it. And so how do you draw near to God? Number one, you prepare your heart to seek the Lord. Number two, you make it a priority. <laughs> there are a lot of things I want to do. There are a lot of things I intend to do, but I never do. I want to ride the motorcycle more, but today, again, it's raining. Or I have to go with my wife because we need help unloading stuff from the car to the church or this and that. Or we're going out after church to eat you know, and, and whatever. I, I want to spend more time on the shooting range. It's been eight to ten years. 
I know that's sin in some of your eyes, but uh, it's what it is. I, I want to do projects around the house that never seem to get done. And now I'm at a point in my life where, uh, guess what? Some of these things are not going to get done, all right? <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to downsizing and getting smaller in the sense of not having so much to do. I want to do a lot of things, but it seems I never do those things. Why? Because those things are not a priority. For example, I want and even intend to clean out the garage, but it seldom happens. And my counter on my garage gets fuller and fuller of tools and things I have drawers for, I have a tool case for, but they just pile up. For 17 years now, I've wanted to paint the ceiling of our garage and finish painting the walls. I started on one wall where I put up shelves, but that was 17 years ago. It's going to be on somebody else's watch because it probably won't get done on mine. I'm just saying a lot of things I want to do that never happen because they're not a priority. Now, I don't doubt that most Christians intend to pray. They intend to serve God in some capacity. They intend to do the right thing. But honestly, most of it never happens because they disobey the one principle that Jesus set forth in his Sermon on the Mount. And that is Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where he said, but seek first. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So as we begin 2024, let me ask you a question this morning. Where are your priorities? Where are your priorities? Honestly, we can tell where our priorities are by what we actually do. We can tell by what we actually do. All the other things are not done because, truth be told, we have excellent excuses for, the, for us not doing them. All right? Seek first. Make it a priority or you never will get it done. I referenced Hebrews 10.25 last week in reference to being faithful in attending church. You know, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10, if you will. Let's start with verse 22. I want to read this in context because this is one of the key verses of, of draw near to God. Hebrews chapter 10, 22. This is what I call the salad, the salad portion of Hebrews 10 because there's a lot of let us. Let us. Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near. There's those words. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from, the, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, let me ask you another question. Do you see any signs of the day of the Lord approaching? How many would say, yeah, I see some signs? Well, based on what I just read to you, what does that tell us? And so much the more. 
In other words, we need to be coming together and meeting together and exhorting one another and encouraging one another and using our gifts together to to build up the body of Christ. You see, I personally see movement toward conditions prophesied in the book of Revelation. We just got done studying that last year, spring of 2023, started fall of 2022. And I never thought in my lifetime, after I studied, after we, we, we looked at Israel and what's going to happen in the days that come, I never in my lifetime thought I would see so many people worldwide who hate Jewish people. And it all goes back, it all stems to the hatred they had toward Christ if you want to look at the spiritual side of that. I mean, what else can you say when young people side with Hamas more than Israel? In large part because of what they're taught in our higher education learning institutions. I personally am glad that Harvard president finally stepped down from her position from plagiarism as well as anti-Semitism. She needed to step down. All right? But friends, not only are we living in the last days, but I remind us today, we have been living in the last days since the time of Christ, biblically. In the last days, God's Joel, Joel prophesied, I will pour out my spirit. Well, that happened on Pentecost. We've been in the last days for a couple thousand years. And that is true, biblically. How much closer are we today, 2,000 years later, to his coming? That ought to be a wake-up call saying, hey, I have to do all I can to draw near to him because I want him to draw near to me. Amen? We see the day approaching and so much the more. The bottom line is this. At the end of the day, you either did it or you didn't. You either drew near or you didn't. You were either faithful or you weren't. At the end of the day, you and I will either hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or depart from me, I never knew you. That's the choices. So how do we draw near to God? Number one, we prepare our hearts to seek the Lord. We firmly, we resolutely decide, I'm going to do that. Draw near this year. Number two, we make that a priority and maybe add some accountability to the mix. Number three, we take that first step in the right direction. Someone has said, a thousand-mile walk begins with one step. I don't know if you saw the pictures I posted on Facebook in the last week and a half of what I call my wood pile project of chopping up firewood, of splitting wood. Uh, there were about four cords of rounds back there that I bucked and I split in the last week and a half, two weeks. I already hauled five trailer loads and I have one more to go. And you say, well, how can you do that much in that short a time? One piece of wood at a time. I am sick and tired of looking at firewood right now. I mean, it was like a lot of work. But you take one log, if it's too long, you buck it, you split it, you take another log, and you keep on going until it's done. You take one step in God's direction, in God's saying, hey, I see that hunger. I see that desire. I see that thirst for more of me. 
As you step toward me, God says, I'm stepping toward you. You see, when we think about drawing near to God, sometimes we get such lofty ideals in mind that we never get started. I'm simply saying today, start somewhere. All right, drawing near to God is a process. And I love the suddenlies of the Bible, the suddenlies of God in the Bible. And, and, and usually, though, and, and often, most often, on those occasions, even with the suddenlies of God, there have been preparations made prior to the suddenly of God. For example, when Solomon dedicated the temple, I mean, God shows up in this awesome way. The Shekinah cloud of the glory of God entered that place. The anointing of God was so strong. The, the ministers couldn't stand up to minister. The priests couldn't, couldn't stand up to minister. I mean, all that occurred pretty suddenly. But I want you to see the preparations that led up to that. All the preparations David did to supply the material for the building of the temple. All the work that went into building the temple. The sanctification of the priests in preparation for the dedication of the temple. The slaying of thousands of sacrifices. The worship. I mean, it didn't just happen in a vacuum. It happened to people who had set their hearts to seek God. Think about that. It happened to people who were ready to receive more from God. In other words, they, I like, I like this phrase, they positioned themselves for more of the Lord. I was privileged to attend, and you've heard me talk about this in years gone by, if you've been here any length of time, but to attend the Pensacola Revival in, in, in Pensacola, Florida, also known as the Brownsville Revival. And it was a revival that Dr. Cho prophesied would happen in Pensacola, Florida. And one year, from 1995 to 2000, until I moved here, basically, I was there every year. One year, I put on 10,000 miles driving from Iowa to Florida, putting on lots of miles, bringing people with me, encouraging others to visit that, that move of God. I remember on occasion in the summer of 1995, I stood in line with hundreds and hundreds of people from 6 in the morning until the doors opened at night at 7 p.m. Well, why would you do that, Brian? Well, because I was hungry for more of God. I wanted to see God move. I mean, it was just incredible because if you didn't stand in line, you weren't getting the sanctuary. And there was hundreds of people out there doing that. I saw things, I saw God do things that I still have a hard time today to put into words. I, I can't explain everything. And that's good. I'll just say it this way, it's better felt than telt. All right? It's better felt than telt. I mean, you had to experience it. And, and hundreds of thousands of people from all over the world showed up. Several countries showed up. And many people got saved. A lot of people renewed uh, their walk with Christ. And I saw people repenting at the altar. Sheriff's Department dropping off people that they were going to take in because, man, if God can touch them, that's going to save them in step two. I mean, garbage cans filled with guns and drugs and whatever else paraphernalia. Uh, but for years, but for years prior to that revival, the church prayed and prayed and prayed for a breakthrough before the breakthrough came. Somebody had to start somewhere. And it just takes one step. That's how you draw near to God. We not only take a step forward from where we are right now, but then number four, we continue with the process. 
Think about it this way. God used the construction of the tabernacle and later the temple to teach his people how to draw near to him. If you'll recall in your mind's eye right now the layout of the tabernacle, the temple followed the same pattern, by the way, and you had this in your Bible, either the front or the back. There's a map of it. There's a diagram of the tabernacle. But think about the tabernacle. There's only one gate in. There's only one way to God. That's through Jesus Christ, his son. There is no other name by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so no one comes to God except through Jesus Christ, his, you know, except through his son, Jesus Christ. So there's only one gate. As a person entered the gate, he first encounters what is called the brazen altar or the altar of sacrifice. This is where these sacrificial animals were burned, were sacrificed. The blood of these animals had to be shed before anyone could approach God. Hebrews 9.22 said, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so blood needed to be shed. Sin is only atoned for by the shedding of blood. Of course, the blood sacrifices of the Old Testament were only a foreshadowing of the one eternal sacrifice of Christ on the cross. No one, absolutely no one, goes to heaven without faith in the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. And I know it's not politically correct in our society to say that, but it is biblically correct. And I would rather be biblically correct than politically correct. I mean, what a foolish decision God made in sending his son if people could save themselves. To have his son leave the glories of heaven, come to earth and suffer shame and pain would be foolish if it were not necessary. But friends, God is not foolish. People are foolish who disagree with God's decisions. So there is salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus because no other paid the price for your sin or for my sin. No other was worthy to do so and none other could do so. See, salvation does not rest upon a set of moral ethics designed to get people to be nicer. Salvation rests primarily on the penalty for your sin being paid by Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus and his work on the cross is the only way a person can come to God. You and I cannot save ourselves. We trust in Christ for that. So even to become a Christian, we must come to God, draw near to God through Christ, and we must be forgiven of our sin based on the payment that he made on the cross. Even as Christians, we are continually dependent upon the blood of Christ to cleanse from sin. Writing to Christians, the Apostle John says it this way in 1 John 1, 7-9. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when you and I pray daily, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us, we are simply trusting in the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ as the basis for that request. Now, let me ask you, does anyone here today need to visit that brazen altar, if you will? 
Is anyone carrying unnecessary guilt? Are you hesitant to come to God because of that guilt? Well, I'm here to tell you the blood of Jesus Christ can remove that guilt from saint and sinner alike. Hallelujah. His blood still cleanses. And so ask forgiveness on the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, not on the basis of your New Year's resolution to do better this year. Just go to Jesus and Jesus, I proclaim the victory of your blood over my life or whatever it may be, all right, because of what he's done. And so we have the gate. We have the brazen altar where the sacrifices were made. Now the goal is drawing near to God in the Holy of Holies. When James tells Christians to draw near to God as a good Jew, he is thinking about the Holy of Holies where God dwells. In the Old Testament, coming that close to God was a privilege only available to the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement. But guess what? The good news is the cross of Jesus Christ changed all of that. Hebrews 10, once again, verses 19 through 22. Second time I'm reading verse 22, I'll read it again coming up. But it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh, or through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, the right of Hebrews here is using the same imagery of the tabernacle as we are this morning to encourage Christians to draw near, to draw closer to God. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he gave his life to open up a way for us to come to God as sons and daughters of the Most High. See, this heavy veil that separated the the holy place from the holy of holies was torn in two from top to bottom the moment Jesus Christ died at Calvary, according to Mark 15. That's why you and I have access to the very presence of God. Quickly, we have reasons of why we can enter in. Because the blood of Jesus has been poured out in payment for our sin. Because the tearing of his flesh in sacrifice for us has opened the way for us to enter into God's presence. Friends, the best news of all is because we have a high priest who intercedes for us. Jesus right now is doing his priestly duty, praying for you, interceding for you, and on behalf of of who you are before his Father in heaven. And that's the continual ministry of his. As our resurrected Lord, Jesus lives forever in that capacity. And so don't miss this point. The privilege is entirely based on Jesus' work, not our own. It's what he's done that gives us access to God the Father. Now, back to this process of drawing near to God. I'm born again. I'm a Christian. I have yet to grow angels' wings. I'm not there yet. Matter of fact, I I still struggle with things. I I am not completely sanctified. I am a work in progress. You say, boy, you sure are. Well, so are you. So are you. We all are. But realize it's a process. 
And so we have one gate, one way. We have the brazen altar. We have the holy of holies. And number four, as we approach God, we come to the brazen laver. This was a huge bowl where the priests washed their hands and their feet. Their sin was atoned for at the brazen altar, but they continually came to this brazen laver to wash away the influence of this old world. See, here's a, here's, here's a revelation for us. The laver represents the cleansing influence of the Word of God on our lives. Once again, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, and I'm going to read it. I'm going to uh, add a few things to it just to kind of bring some meaning to it. So Hebrews 10, 22, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. In parentheses, put brazen altar. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, brazen altar, and our bodies washed with pure water, brazen laver. So we have the outer, outer court, sacrifice when you first walk to the gate, then you walk into the Holy of Holies, and then you have the brazen laver. Friends, this is why you and I constantly need the Word of God speaking to our hearts, in our lives, correcting our lives, bringing about rebuke if necessary, or whatever it might be. Ephesians 5, 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, so that he might sanctify and cleanse her, here it is, with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to her uh, to present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Once again, hear these words again this morning with fresh understanding that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water through the word. Because of the word. In other words, if you and I are going to draw near to God, we must continually be in his word, and his word must continually be in our lives. That's the brazen labor. We must apply God's word to areas of our lives that need cleansing. Psalm 34, years ago, after the Browns revival, I preached on this before I preached here before I came here, so it had to be late 1990s, but it's Psalm 23, 3, and 3 through 6, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the, God of self, from, from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Back when I preached this years ago, I had a bowl of water and I had some dirt. I mixed the two together and the whole sermon I preached with muddy, dirty hands. And I said, this is how we often approach God. And God wants to clean our lives. He wants to cleanse our lives. Cleansing, purity, holiness unto God. See, there, there's instruction in this, in this holy place. Once we get into the Holy of Holies, the metal is gold, not brass. There are three articles of furniture uh, there. First, there's the golden lampstand, which was the source of light, the only source of light. As we draw near to God, we walk in the light that he gives us. 
We are no longer children of darkness. We are no longer of the night. We are no longer groping around in unbelief. Paul wrote to, uh, to the Christians in Thessalonica, chapter 5, 5 through 8, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. You are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not, uh, uh, not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Hallelujah. Friends, we have the golden lampstand. There was also the table of showbread that had 12 loaves of bread, each representing a tribe of Israel. And the priest only ate the bread in the holy place. The showbread was also called the bread of the presence because it was always eaten in the presence of the Lord. Now, we understand a little bit about this because once a month, on the second Sunday of the month, next Sunday, we will partake in Holy Communion. All right, the ordinance of communion that we observe. But here, our fellowship with Christ brings nourishment to our souls. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. Here we are fellowshipping with the Lord and with one another. 1 John 1, 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so how does really the table of showbread instruct us about drawing near to God? Well, we have to maintain a wholesome fellowship, not only with the Lord, but also, get this, with the Lord's people. All of them. All 12 tribes, if you will. All right. The 12 loaves represent all of God's people. And so if you and I want to draw near to God, we need to maintain right relationships with God and with people. With God and with people. In other words, I need to forgive perceived offenses. I need to get rid of the albatross of unforgiveness. I need to learn to fellowship with God's people, even those I may disagree with on certain theological things. You know what I'm saying? So what would keep us from doing that? Honestly, pride. Spiritual pride will isolate you from the body of Christ. Friends, do not be deceived into thinking that you can draw close to God by disconnecting with God's people. The sermon was worth right there. <laughs> Just the opposite is true. So we have the golden lampstand, the, the table of showbread, then we come to the golden altar of incense. Also in the holy place, this incense was to be left burning continually day and night as a sweet aroma unto God. Revelation 8, 3 and 4, Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hands. Now what does the golden altar of incense represent? It represents prayer. Prayer which is offered up to God. Prayer is essential an essential element of drawing near to God. Because if we neglect prayer, 
we will not live in the presence of God. What did God say? My house, my temple. This is the temple of the Holy Ghost. My house shall be called a house of prayer. So what do the articles of the furniture in the holy place teach us about drawing near to God? Well, the golden lampstand teaches us to walk in the light as he is in the light. The table of showbread teaches us to live in fellowship with Christ and with his people. And the golden altar of incense teaches us to be a people of prayer. A people of prayer. What did James say? Draw near to God. There's the command. The command with the promise. And he, God, will draw near to you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. I asked this morning, do you really want to draw near to God? Do you really want to draw near to God? Do you really want a more intimate relationship with him? Because truth be told, we can have church without drawing near to God. People can conduct all kinds of social activities without the presence of God. Christians, and I've seen this happen more than I want to say, Christians can live their lives without intimacy with God. Just kind of living a nice life, but kind of keeping God at an arm's length. Because many times we're afraid of what he's going to ask us to do. My question, draw near to God. Will we? Will we? Draw near to God. Will you? Will we prepare our hearts to seek the Lord? Are we going to make it a priority? Are we going to take a step in the right direction? And are we going to continue the process even as revealed in the tabernacle structure? Let me close this morning by sharing with you a few more scriptures on draw near. Like I said, there's a lot of scriptures that refer to this, that reference this in the Bible. These are all from the English Standard Version, Hebrews 4.16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That we may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. How many need God's mercy? How many need God's grace? You know, We all do. How do we go about that? We draw near. We draw near. Hebrews 7, verse 19. For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Hebrews 7, 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hallelujah is right. Hebrews 11, verse 6, we know this verse. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I ask the question, what's the reward? He himself is the reward. He is your very great reward, as the Lord said to Abraham. Psalm 73, 28. But for me, it is good 
to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. There it is. That I may tell of all your works. And then Psalm 145, verse 18. The Lord is near to all who call on him. The Lord is near to all who call on him. To all who call on him in truth. I just shared with you a few scriptures. There's more out there. But this whole topic, this whole theme of drawing near, it's not just for, as we begin our week of prayer, awaken, may God awaken his church, may God awaken uh, lost souls, but may we be a people who truly draw near to God, knowing that he will draw near to us. We sing, the, we sing the chorus, we used to sing the chorus, draw me close to you, never let me go. And I got to thinking about that. You know, we're saying, God, draw me close to you. But James is saying, wait a minute, no, it's not that. It's you. It's you drawing closer to God. I'm not going to change the chorus, the verse, or whatever. But I'm just saying, it, it, it begins right here. It begins in my heart. It begins in your heart. It begins in our hearts collectively, corporately, as a church saying, you know something? I believe this is God's mandate for us at this hour. As I said last week, if there's ever a time where the people of God need to draw near to God, it's now. Because the people, that the people who draw near to God, God's going to draw near to them, and they're going to do great exploits for him. Amen? And so I'll stand to our feet. We'll close in prayer. Let's ask God today to honor his word as we draw near to him. He'll draw near to us. And so draw near to God, will we? Father, today, I thank you for your word. I thank you for putting this word on my heart for this time, for this hour. And as we begin a brand new year, a new season, Father, I pray that corporately that we would say, yes, I will. We will draw near. Lord God, we're going we're gonna to count the cost. We're going to make this our priority in our lives. We're going to readjust our schedules so this does happen, which means that other things won't be happening in our lives, in our, on our schedules. And so, Father, I, I pray, Father, as we draw near to you, I, I thank you that you'll honor your word and that you will draw near to us. But God, help us to take the first step in that. I pray in Jesus' name. And God, with heads bowed this morning, eyes closed, I just pray, God, for this congregation, God, that you, draw, that you would draw near to us as we draw near to you, but that each of us, God, would sense your presence and that we would long for more of you, knowing that there must be less of us. And God, I pray that you, would, Jesus, would increase, that we would decrease, that I would decrease. Lord, help us, help us to make this a priority and to take that first step and what that looks like in our own lives. And Lord, I thank you once again for the words of James that promises that you'll draw near to us. If we draw near to you, you'll draw near to us. Thank you, God, for the command with the promise. And Lord, help apply this to our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.